My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. That's the first five verses of Psalm 22 that we use as a prayer today. And it encapsulates, I think, truly the situation that we live in as mortal human beings. We live in a world where where everything is immediate. All the pressure, all the pain, all the desire, everything is right on the surface. And we don't know the timing of God and understand the timing of God. The psalmist is crying out for salvation and deliverance and, and saying that in the past, our fathers trusted and you were not put to shame. Well, I'm sure that they felt the same way when they prayed as well, that they needed it right then. But now, in retrospect, the psalmist sees only the deliverance. He doesn't see the crying out and the screaming and the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. He doesn't see how long the slavery in Egypt lasted before God did hear and respond. We can always count on him, but only in his time. So let's get started for today. This is uh, Friday, March the 26th, uh, 2021, and we're uh, in Jeremiah 29. Verses 1, and then it skips forward to verses 4 to 13. Uh, the Lord gives Jeremiah uh, a, a letter, a, the word that he's supposed to put into the, um, the letter to the exiles, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And it's a comforting word that's spoken to him in some ways, but then in other ways, it's not real comforting. And it's not comforting to those who have been the leaders, whether you're a prophet or priest or, uh, or just a leader of your own household who had failed uh, to, to hold to the truth. Because what the word is, it says this, tell them this, build houses and live in them, Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. You're going to be there a long while. That's the word. You're going to be there long enough that you're going to have children and they're going to have children. But keep the faith. Keep pressing on. I'm still with you. Multiply and do not decrease. The same as they did when they went down to Egypt. They're told to continue to live, to, to settle in and live life in that place. But more than that, they're to seek the welfare of the city that he sent them into exile to and pray to the Lord on behalf of that city for in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. You're going to be there long enough, kind of become part of the warp and woof of the life of the place, but at the same time, same time maintain your own separate identity as my people and he says and he has to say this don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and don't listen to the dreams that they dream for it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name i did not send them declares the lord and you know good and well what it is that they're saying to him this is this is only going to last a day or two it's going to happen it's going to happen it's going to happen he's going to take us back this is all going to change and god's saying no it's not Settle in. 
when 70 years are completed from Babylon, I'll visit you and I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And this is the piece that everybody loves to quote. And it's a, there's a reason everybody loves to quote it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I'll hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's important that we remember that. It's important that that word was given to a people in exile. It was given as a hope, while at the same time it was given as a word that says you're going to be there a very long time. Some of you are not going to come back from there. It might be your sons and daughters that come back, just as it was the sons and daughters in the wilderness who were the ones who got to go in and, and possess the land the first time around. And so it's a serious word of no. This is not going to be quick. It's not going to take 10 minutes. It's going to take a lot longer than that. Just settle in for the long haul. It's a painful, painful word. It's easier to hold on to those words of, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a hope in the future when you think it's going to happen tomorrow. But when you think it's not going to happen in your generation, is it as comforting? But it's true. And so we hold on to that, whether we see it in our flesh or not, just like Jonah or Job had to say. I'm going to hold on to that hope. No matter whether I see it in my flesh, in my eyes, I will see God. And my Redeemer will stand on the earth. And that's the important thing. So that's the same for us. We're in exile right now. We're, we're strangers in a strange land. We are exiles from the true kingdom that we were intended to be in. And so whatever our situation is, we're to give thanks, we're to make the most of it, and we're to multiply in that place. In the gospel lesson today is John 11, 1 to 27. <clears throat> and it's the, the beginning of the story of Lazarus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mar Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the oil with the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. He's just given us all the context here. So the sisters sent to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And then Jesus' response to the person who brings the message is, this illness doesn't lead to death, it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Oh, okay. So the illness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God, Jesus, may be glorified through it. Okay, got it. Why does he say does not lead to death? And how is he going to get glorification in it? I mean, he's already healed tons of people. And he says it doesn't lead to death. Well, it did, unless you're Jesus. It's not a permanent death that this led to. It led to, well, resurrection, resuscitation, new life. Really, resuscitation, resurrection should be reserved just for um, Jesus because that was the end. Lazarus did die again, ultimately. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard, this doesn't make any sense, right? So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. I'm sorry. I would think you'd show me your love by coming immediately as soon as I sent word for you, believing that you could heal him. But Jesus loved them more than that. He loved them enough to wait. He loved them enough that they got to see experience the most amazing miracle he ever did. So the disciples 
he, he looked at the disciples after a couple of days and says, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples are like, why would you want to do that? They're, they're looking to stone you based on what you did the last time you were there in that whole thing about claiming to be the good shepherd. And Jesus said, aren't there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. And then our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'll go waken him. And they misunderstood that, and they believed that, that what had actually happened was he was, like, taking a nap, sleeping it off. Maybe he'll sweat this whole thing out in the night or the day or whenever it is. Um, because they said if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. And then he finally has to say, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. And so Thomas assumes they're going to die there. And so he says, let's go, that we may die with him. And we don't know if he's talking about Jesus or he's talking about Lazarus when he says that. So he finds that Lazarus has been in the tomb four days, and which is one day longer than the soul or spirit of a man will wait, according to Jewish tradition. Um, and so he's, he's dead. And then they're two miles outside of um, Jerusalem and Bethany and and. Martha comes to Jesus when she hears he's there and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's not professing here that she believes that Jesus can bring him back from the dead. We know that because of her response later whenever Jesus says to open the tomb. What she's saying is, is, is that in spite of the fact that I'm incredibly disappointed that you didn't show up when I called you to come and he died, even though you could have done something about it, I still believe whatever you ask from God, God will give you. In other words, she's saying, I, I, I forgive you for not coming when I called you. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she thinks he's speaking theologically. Yeah, I know, I know. I know all about the resurrection on the last day of judgment. And he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Death is a final thing. And Jesus says that this is not a final thing that we're looking at here. She says, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. She still doesn't know what he said. Who could? Who could possibly know that? The only thing that she's thinking here is maybe the last day is a lot sooner than we thought. If I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world, then maybe the reality is we're a lot closer to the end, and maybe he's going to rise again in this last day, and that's going to happen during your lifetime. It's this hope against hope, but it's it's the hope that we want to have, right? Because we want the pain, the suffering, the difficulty. We want it to end today, not tomorrow, today. And in all this, it's got to come down to Jesus being glorified. It, it, nobody else can take credit for this, right? I mean, he's got to be more than any other miracle worker, more than any other wonder worker who ever lived. He's got to be more than whatever. He's got to be the one who gets all the credit, period, end of sentence. And so frequently we can depend on other people to do things, right? And, and those people then let us down doesn't make them horrible people. It just means Jesus is the one that needs to get the glory for it. We need to stop blaming people. We need to stop saying if Bob had done this or if Steve had done that or if Sally had done this, whatever. No, it, it all comes down to, nope, I'm not depending on you. Therefore, I'm not going to blame you when it doesn't happen. I'm depending on him. That's it. 
And that's what happened to the people in the wilderness. They kept blaming Moses. They kept blaming him because, well, you don't want to blame God. So they blamed Moses, and that got them into trouble whenever they, they spoke against God's anointed. But our personal impatience is what causes so much of our own grief. We just don't know the Lord's timing, and we assume that it's now because, well, we have a need that needs to be met now. And but it doesn't. And Paul is expressing that partially in, his, in this passage from Romans 11, verses 13 to 24. He said, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I, in fact, I do my best to make as much of my ministry as I possibly can to the Gentiles because I want to make my fellow Jews jealous so that they'll want what you have. He said, because if, if and not only that, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world won't, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? The end. The final resurrection. And then he goes on and talks that he compares all this to a tree. A, 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 like in, in the father would then be essentially like the, the vine dresser, the person who keeps the, the orchard or whatever. And so you've got you know a natural tree and then you graft in other stuff so that you get kind of different fruit from it. And you get or hardierness or whatever it is that you're trying to, um, to bring about in that. And he says, so you know, you should be happy that branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. You, you shouldn't look at that as God's judgment on them. No, you should be just receive this uh, mercy of God that that even happened is, is the way you need to look at that. You shouldn't look down on and hate the Jews and say, well, they rejected him and that'd be the end of your story. And because they rejected him, now I'm in the kingdom. Well, no, that's a gift. And Ultimately, he says, God's going to bring all those back in um, through the same way you got in, through faith, through God's kindness, in, in order that they would come back in. And if because if if what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? So <laughs> it, he, he's not going to treat them any differently than he treated you, and you're not going to be treated any differently than he treated them. So we'll be careful here. Be careful what you say. Be careful what, the way you think because it's grace and mercy. It's not because you're so special. that They're the natural branches here, not you. And it says even, if the, even they, if they don't continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. It's kind of a resurrection power. So they're dead to him at the moment because they're not in live in Christ Jesus. And so now we can, he can bring them in back into this thing and Paul wants it to happen quickly it's obvious that that's what he wants he says I make much of my ministry in order somehow to make them jealous and save some of them for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world what will their exception acceptance mean but life from death so Paul it is doing this because he wants to force the end times into being I don't know if you know this but right now they're trying to get the perfect red heifer in Jerusalem, because there's a promise in Scripture, a, a prophetic word in Scripture that once the red, perfect red heifer is there, they can sacrifice that, and that'll bring about the coming of the kingdom. That'll bring about the the entire thing, eschatology in Jewish belief. Well, Jesus, that's it, Jesus. It's not about the red heifer. It's none of those things. There's always an attempt to force something to happen. To have it my way, to to interpret things in such a way that that I understand what I can do to make this happen. Well, God's already made it happen, and He's already given the promise. 
It's a call to us to wait for the fulfillment with eyes fixed on Him, listening for His voice.